Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. As the kids are dismissed, it's always a great opportunity to pray for the next generation and also for those that are teaching them about God's word today. We're so grateful for those that volunteer in our kids' ministry. So I was thinking about something as I was preparing uh, to to walk us through this text today about how we uh, we can hear things over and over and over again and still miss the meaning of what we've heard. And one example I was thinking of was this uh, nursery rhyme that my parents used to say to me when I was really little. Uh, and maybe they said, maybe you heard it too, this little piggy. Does anybody know that one? This little piggy went to market, this little piggy stayed home. I never, I never connected with the idea that the piggy that was going to market, I always thought they were going grocery shopping <laughs> as a kid. I never thought the pig was going to market, right? Like bacon and ham market. Uh, this last week, I saw this funny thing online. Uh, it was a, a quote. I'll show it to you. Uh, maybe, maybe this sounds familiar. This is out of Chick-fil-A. It says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And the quote is, well, it's anonymous, right? Uh, no, it's not. Does that sound familiar? That, that's good enough to be in the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus said that. <laughs> So we can hear things over and over and over again and still miss the meaning. And and then uh, for those of us that have grown up in the church, we can read things in the Bible uh, and miss their meaning. Or we can hear things said in church and think they're in the Bible. Like how many of you heard the the phrase growing up, the Lord helps them, those who help themselves, right? Not in the Bible. (laughs) Not even really gospel, really, if you think about it. God helps uh, those who can't help themselves. <laughs> we know that. Or, or how about this? Uh, this one's close, but still not in the Bible. Spoil the, or spare the rod, spoil the child. Uh, parents for generations use that as an excuse to spank their kids. Not, also not in the Bible. Some of you are going, wait a second, Andrew. Now, there is a, a, a proverb that talks about the, the rod of discipline, but it doesn't say it in this way. So it's easy, right? We live in this soundbite culture, this kind of truth by meme uh, world, uh, this, 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 this uh, kind of culture that has generated um, headlines. We read the headline and we, we react to it instead of reading the article, right? This is the world we live in. Uh, probably the most famous verse that is quoted massively out of context, I've done it, you've probably done it. It's, most, it's so many people's favorite verses in the Bible. If you could guess, would you guess Jeremiah 29, 11? Right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So many of us claim that as our own, especially in times of hardship and trial. But what does the verse right before that say? Anybody? Well, it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Well, we don't quote that one, right? Because... <laughs> This word was given to specific people at a specific time. God was comforting his people as they were occupied by Babylon. His comfort, not very comforting for us today who want things right away, was in 70 years. I'm going to do this thing. (laughs) In 70 years. 
So this is the culture we live in. It's a soundbite culture. It's a meme culture. It's a read a headline and respond culture. And we as the people of God have to do better. We, we have to press into truth. We have to wrestle with it. We have to sit in it. We have to think not what do I think it means, this little piggy went to market, <laughs> but what does it actually mean? Uh, so if the word of God, the Bible, is one of our main sources for spiritual food, we've got to take more than just a nibble of it. We've got to hear more than just a, a message on Sunday morning. God's word is the source of our faith. And it is the source of how we practice our faith, how we live it out. And so this is why we've been walking through the book of Mark verse by verse for these last months. We're not avoiding any difficult subject. We've talked about divorce and politics or even the theme that we're going to talk about this morning. And so if this is your first time with us, uh, let me just give you a little context. In the days since Jesus has come on the scene, he's been preaching, he's been ministering to people, he's been demonstrating his power, but he's also been speaking truth. And just recently, before the text that we're going to read this morning, Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem much like a king would ride into Jerusalem, called the triumphal entry. And since then, Jesus has been taking some punches. There's been some very public um, antagonism going his way, but the people that have been doing it tried to do it subtly trying to undermine him publicly without directly attacking him. So we've seen religious leaders, that includes elders and teachers and chiefs priests, come to him and, and try and get him stuck on some theological topics. We saw last week, we saw Pharisees who are conservative and Herodians who are liberal. We saw them join forces to try and get Jesus, to out Jesus as some sort of rebel. And then now, today, enter stage left, we're going to see another group of people called the Sadducees. And before we read the text, let me just give you a little context on who the Sadducees are. You've probably heard them referenced in the Bible, not as much as the Pharisees, but still there. Like the Pharisees, they were a Jewish sect. So they were religious in nature. Um, unlike the Pharisees, they were a smaller group, not quite as influential as the Pharisees. They held to the historic writings of the Bible, but only the first five books. And the Sadducees tended to associate a little bit more with the wealthy. Uh, that's who they were kind of in. So they're like the aristocrats of, of the Jewish culture. The, the Sadducees, uh, some of their distinctive religious beliefs, um, they denied the eternal nature of the soul. They think when you die, that's it. Um, they only gave weight, again, as I mentioned, to the first five books of the Bible. They called these the Book of Moses because Moses authored them. And so they rejected the prophets and the wisdom literature, everything that came past those first five books. And so this last, that, that information is important because the interaction they're going to have with Jesus is centered on what they believe versus what they think Jesus believes. So if you have your Bibles this morning... Go ahead and open to Mark chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles or a Bible, there are some in the pew in front of you. And if you don't own one, you can take that one home. We didn't even put our name in it, so you don't have to feel guilty about taking it. So uh, if, also, if you don't have a Bible but you have a smartphone, you know that you can find a Bible app on there. So we're going to read this, this interaction the Sadducees have with Jesus. And this is the third interaction of guys coming after him in this way. And there will be one more after this. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 18. 
It says, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no, no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the, the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Now, this sounds like a little bit one of those like riddles that we would tell at our dinner table. Like, what was the name of the bus driver? You know, like so much going on here. But the, in the book of Moses, it's, there, is, there is a law in, in that time to protect widows that a widow that would die without any children, so no, no um, sons to ta help take care of her, um, as, a, as a form of protection, should be remarried, as, uh, ideally to a member of their family. So they're, they're referencing this, this text that Jesus would know and they would know. But it's a crazy hypothetical question, isn't it? <laughs> Seven times? So Jesus replies, verse 24, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So this ridiculous hypothetical that is brought to Jesus is it's based on the teachings of Moses, which the Sadducees held as authoritative. And they're trying to undermine Jesus' belief in the resurrection. And if we remember earlier in Mark, Jesus himself has said what? That he will rise again. So not only does he believe this, that the, the soul is eternal and that people will, will rise again, but he says he's going to do it himself. And so they're, they're coming, they don't believe this, they're coming to, to ask him a hypothetical question that they hope will stump him publicly and so unravel the authority and influence of Jesus. Now, this hypothetical question, I mean, honestly, after seven husbands and no kids, I would think at this point the, the lady should probably be under investigation, you know. <laughs> why, do you, why do your husbands keep dying mysteriously right before you have kids? <laughs> But regardless, the Sadducees, who, who don't believe in the resurrection anyway, have come up with this perfect theological trap for Jesus, they think. But they're wrong. So Jesus' initial response to them, not even answering the question, his just initial reaction to them is this. Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Essentially what Jesus goes on to say is, first of all, you're idea of resurrection and eternity with God is wrong. There's no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth. The angels who live in the presence of God don't marry today, and neither will resurrected people. And second, regarding resurrection as biblical belief, I love how Jesus does this. Essentially, he says, since you don't believe any other scripture, let's look at the ones that you do believe, this, the, what you call the book of Moses. And so Jesus points them to God's revelation. The first time that God reveals himself, says his name, he says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Jesus' point in pulling this out is, if God was going to reveal himself to Moses as a living God, why would he point to dead people? Why would he say, these guys, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, those those little guys, I am currently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus answers his own question. The reason that God says it in this way is because they are still alive. They are with God right now. And as he says, I love this, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what Jesus is wisely doing in this theological test is he's connecting the historic belief in the resurrection that would be unpacked somewhat more clearly after these five books that they accepted. But he's connecting that belief to the writings that the Sadducees do accept, showing them that for those who belong to God, death is not final. So this probably brings up some questions. I actually got a question last Sunday, uh, right after our message about this. Historically, there is some confusion, even today in the Christian church, on what exactly happens after we die. And while we don't have time this morning to do a full, in-depth study of heaven and hell, maybe we will this fall, um, let me point you to a few scriptures and then share why what we believe as a church and what most um, Christian churches believe. Um, Psalm 16, verses 10 says, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay, you will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So the psalmist paints a picture that death is not final, that there will be a, a, a way for those that belong to God to be with him in eternity. Later on in Acts chapter 2, Peter, as he's preaching to new converts, he cites this same psalm as good news for those of us that belong to God. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is when we die, our soul, or in some cases we call it our spirit, but it's really the same, goes to be with God. So he's saying, right now my soul and my body are connected, but I would rather be, it would be much better to be apart from my body and with God in spirit or in in my soul. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, he, he continues to talk about what happens. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so when we look at, these are just a few samples of, of the concept of resurrection, and concept of the eternal nature of our soul. When we look at scripture, what we see is for those of us that die before Jesus comes back, uh, our soul, our body dies, but our soul is with God right now. But then there will be a time when Jesus returns that our, our dead bodies will be resurrected, we'll have new bodies, and our soul essentially will be reunited with our new bodies at that time. And so there will be a 
a, a, whole, a full resurrection of all that belonged to Jesus in that time. Uh, this is a, a big topic, and it's not something that Jesus necessarily unpacked in his answers to the Sadducees, but this is what he, the theological ground he was standing on as he, as he pushed back on their, their, um, their beliefs. And I would just recommend to you, if I can recommend one book, if you were to, to want to really do a deep dive into the idea of heaven and hell and our soul and what happens, it would be the book called, simply called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Heaven by Rand. There's a, there's a lot of books out there about like, you know, a kid dying and seeing heaven and coming back to life. Those are, those are fun, but they're not theological. They're not, I, I wouldn't say they're even, most of them are even truthful. In fact, one of those books some years later came out. I was like, oh, we made up the whole story. Um, so I would avoid any kind of book about the afterlife based on somebody having a near-death experience. Um, if you want to stick with the scriptures, um, Randy Alcorn's book does a really good job. But let me just put one caveat. He does use some imagination in there, too, because the Bible doesn't describe all of the things. So he hypothesizes a little bit, but he does a great job walking through all of those together. So Jesus engages theologically with the Sadducees, despite their ridiculous question. But he also makes it clear, and this is the bigger issue here, he makes it clear that the Sadducees are far from the truth. They're far from the truth. He says, really answer, he frames his, his answer with this. Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? You are badly mistaken. Now, I don't know about you. Um, some of us, we like, it's like ignorance is bliss. We, we, we have a way that we think and we think it's the right way. And we don't, we're really not open to being corrected. We're not open to, to new revelation. We're, like, don't tell me that little piggy went to market to be butchered, okay? I don't want to hear that. Little piggy went to get some vegetables to bring back to his family. Like, we're set in our ways, and we do, we're, just, we're just not open to being corrected. And the Sadducees, we don't historically know that much about them. Um, and while it's clear they have some influence in the religious life of Israel and, and other historical writings talk about in this time, we just don't get a lot about them. But what we do see in them, however, is a fairly common picture of what happens when people hear the truth but don't understand it. And there's a, a number of reasons. They have their own presuppositions about how they think things should work. Or they're just not open to, to being corrected. Whatever it would be. But this is a pretty common picture of what happens when people hear the truth and they don't understand it. I hope that we as a church are, as a people of God, are willing to hear the truth and to let it change us. I hope that when we read God's word and we, we filter our lives and the way that we live through God's word, that we're constantly seeing things that need to be moved into alignment with God's word. Because if we're not, then we're probably like the Sadducees. We're probably ignoring what is right before us. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so this is the issue of the Sadducees, and now we're here. And I mean right here, in this room, in Renton, in the year 2022. And when Jesus says, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God, I think that statement applies very easily to many who claim the name of Christian. But yet their life doesn't reflect anything about their Christian faith. I think far too many Christians have a, a favorite verse 
or a story, but they haven't actually read the Bible. There's a, a, a rapper named Chance the Rapper who was uh, talking a lot about God and, and praying a lot. And he was talking about his Christian faith. And then he very humbly admitted on social media, I haven't actually read the whole Bible. <laughs> I'm going to do that. And I appreciate that. He was being honest. He had grown up in the church, heard a lot of sound bites, heard a lot of preaching, but he never actually read all of the scriptures. How many of us are the same way? We're just like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. We're like, oh yeah, I've read the Gospels. I'll hold to these four or five books, but I, I haven't read anything else. And so then when ideas come into conflict with ours, we go, well, that's not in the Bible, or I reject that part of the Bible. Again, far too many have a favorite verse or a story, but they haven't read the Bible. I think far too many Christians let their politics or their favorite ideological group influence their faith instead of letting their faith influence their politics. And I think far too many Christians, when given the choice to obey God, instead they echo the great lie of the garden. Did God really say that? When the cultural truths and the cultural movements come up, did God really say, when I know that I'm supposed to live in purity in my relationship, did God really say that? That's not really that big a deal. So let me explain why these three things, if left unchanged, will lead you to the same place as the Sadducees. You will be in opposition to Jesus. Yes, Christians in opposition to Jesus. It's possible. So let's look at those three things real briefly. The first one, as I mentioned, is not knowing the scriptures. This was the Sadducees. They took one piece of God's word and they rejected the rest. In our current day, many Christians go the opposite direction as the, Pharisees, as the Sadducees. Where the Sadducees were saying, we're only holding to the Old Testament, we're going to forget the rest of it. In our current day, many Christians are trying to separate Jesus from the Old Testament. They've read sound bites of the Old Testament or or they've come up to to hard things in the Old Testament and they don't understand that it's historical. They don't understand the literature. And so they go, oh, that's icky stuff. I'm only going to focus on Jesus. But Jesus himself, he quoted the Old Testament over and over and over in his life and ministry. He continually reaffirmed its truth and used it like we saw today to reaffirm the nature and the character of God himself. And so many Christians today, whether it's their own ignorance or their own unwillingness to really read the Bible, they don't know the scripture. They divorce Jesus from the Old Testament. As a church, we hold to to what Paul says to a young preacher in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and he's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How much scripture? All scripture is God-breathed. So when Jesus confronted the Sadducees, he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And this leads to where too many Christians have exchanged the power of God for the power of politics. So the second thing that could lead us to opposing Jesus is when we let our politics influence our faith instead of our faith influencing our politics. Now, full disclosure, I I come from a a very uh, conservative upbringing politically, and I live 
like you, in one of the most progressive liberal areas in the country. And I understand the ideology that drives both political parties. And I have agreements and disagreements with various policies on both sides. I actually can find on both sides things I agree with and things I disagree with. But one thing I committed to do years ago in my 20s was to not let blind political idolatry overtake my Christian identity. If I'm going to lose relationship or offend people, it's not going to be because I led with a political talking point, but a Jesus-centered one. Now, to be sure, there are times when the ethics of Jesus are more clearly demonstrated by one party's policies than another's. But even in those cases, I want people to know that my decision is being driven by my faith, not by blind allegiance to a political tribe. And so this was a challenge in Jesus' day, and it is certainly a challenge in our day as well. And the third thing that will lead us to opposing Jesus, even as Christians, is when we begin to question the truths of God. Far too many Christians, when they're given the choice to obey God, they instead echo the great lie of the garden. Did God really say that? I remember when I was a youth pastor talking about purity, sexual purity in relationships, and I I had a student say, hey, I don't see anything in Scripture that says you are not supposed to have sex before you get married. And I said, you will not find that line in, in Scripture if you're looking for it. But here's what you will find, and we walk through, just like Jesus did with the Sadducees, all of the verses that talk about what sexual relationship is to be reserved for. Guess what? Marriage. That's it. That's all. Anything outside of that is against the truths, the ways of God. And so our faith is influenced by our environment. When culture doesn't agree with God's word, there becomes a strong pull in all of us to figure out how to get the two to line up. I don't want to be the weird one in my friend group. I don't want to be the odd one out in my workplace. Everybody is saying, this is the new movement. This is the new thing we should be celebrating and embracing. If I disagree with that, I'm going to be labeled as hateful and ignorant and othered. I'll lose relationships. But unfortunately, we see this truth, this reality in culture that when culture moves in one direction that is opposed to the ways of God, far too many Christians just blindly follow along. And this is called syncretism. It's this blending of two divergent beliefs. In East Asia, I've seen it take place where where people will become Christians for the first time and they'll they'll, they'll continue to worship uh, their ancestors, right? They'll continue to offer sacrifices in the temple. And at some point they realize one, those things don't mix, but they try and keep them mixed. And it gets really ugly and really messy. When Eve was tempted in the garden, she knew what God had said, but the lie of Satan and her own desire, and that's important too, led her to reject the truth of God. She had a desire. She, it says she saw the fruit and it looked good and pleasing to the eye. There are many things that are good and pleasing in their right context, in the right place. And so she had a desire and she had a lie that she believed and she moved away from God in that moment. 
So we shouldn't be surprised today when uh, the big cultural issues, things like abortion, sexuality, identity, that many professing Christians are saying a version of the same thing. Did God really say? Did God really say that? And the road they are on is just like the Sadducees. First, a rejection of Scripture, or at least the parts that they don't like. Then ultimately, a rejection of the church, where people might correct them lovingly and say, no, that's not what God said. This is what God said. So they reject Scripture. Then they'll, they'll start pulling out of relationship with God's people. And eventually, they reject Jesus. I've seen it over and over and over. You probably have seen it too. Deconstruction that leads to an abandonment of the faith, to rejection of Jesus. So unlike the interaction Jesus has with the Pharisees and Herodians, we don't get a recorded response. If you remember last week, it says they were amazed at his answer. There's nothing. We don't hear any response from the Sadducees. So we could wonder, were they convinced by Jesus' theological argument? Were they willing to reshape their beliefs about human identity and the power of God? We don't know. Uh, but we do know Jesus confirms the truth of God's word by his own resurrection. And because of that, we can have confidence when he talks about ours. Isn't that good news? That one day we will be with God. And one day he will give us a new body, a glorified body, free from all the challenges that we experience today. And so the most important question we can answer today is, what will our response be to the truth of God's word? What will our response be? We can choose to put all of our trust in Jesus and his word, which includes the scriptures. And we can have confidence that death here is more like a graduation than a funeral, we get to be with God. Or we can choose the opposite. We can reject his word. And we can keep looking to the changing winds of politics and culture, to our own desires. We can look to those things to give us peace. Man, my hope this morning is that you'd make up your mind that following Jesus is the truth. I've made up my mind where my hope is going to be placed in Jesus. It's not in my fallen desires. It's not in the latest political trend or social trend. It's in the power of God displayed in Jesus. It's in the promise of his word that he has fulfilled time and time and time again. And he's going to fulfill fully just as he promised. It's such good news. And that's what we have as a church need to be reminded of every day. So let me encourage you, be in God's word, the whole thing. <laughs> be in family, in relationship with his people. Let people speak into your life. Hey, I've noticed this thing. Let's talk about that. And ask God to demonstrate his power. I think one of the, the biggest weaknesses in so many American churches is we don't believe that God can do what he says he'll do. We don't even ask him because we're Afraid, what if he doesn't? We don't know the power of God in our lives like he wants us to know it. So this morning, uh, my hope is that we would we'd be reminded of the power of his word and the power of his relationship with us. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray together.
Father, I pray today that where when we are in error, that we would hear that and we would come to you. Lord, you, you spoke a, a strong but a corrective word to the Sadducees. Lord, that we might hear that as well, that we are mistaken, that we are in error, that we don't know the scriptures or your power. But we might hear it not with a, with a voice or a tone of condemnation, but we hear it as an invitation to know it. And this morning, Lord God, in this, in this room or those online that are, are, they've rejected your word and they know it. They're living outside of your design and they know it. That this morning, they wouldn't walk away going, well, I'm just going to continue to do that. They would say, no, <laughs> I believe Jesus. I believe his word. And today I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to believe his goodness. So I pray that this morning, Lord God. If there is someone in this room that is living in, in doubt or rebellion, that it would be your truth and your love that would bring them back. And where the, the enemy would say, did God really say that? They would hear clearly what you say. And Lord, for us as a church, would you demonstrate your power to us, that we might know your power. We've seen it, we've read about it, we've heard it, but we need a fresh demonstration of your power. So God, would you give that to us as a, as a body? We might be able to tell stories of how you're moving and working, of how your, your way is better than we ever could have imagined when we submitted to it. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you for your truth. May it move from our head to our heart this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.